Greetings, friends, and thank you for listening to the podcast, The Church Dismantled, The Kingdom Restored, or the podcast, Walter Brueggemann, A Prophetic Voice for Our Times. I have two of these running together, and sometimes I put one episode on one of them and one on the other, so you might want to check out both of them. Sometimes I put the same episode on both podcasts. Just a reminder that my uh, autobi- my biography of Walter Brueggemann, the first biography of Walter Brueggemann, entitled Walter Brueggemann's Prophetic Imagination, a Theological Biography, is available for $13.80 on Amazon, and the Kindle book is about the same price as well. The final chapter of that book discusses the relationship between Walter Brueggemann and Jim Wallace over many decades, and the mutual collaboration that they've had in their prophetic voice to the uh, American church. So if you've not picked that book up uh, and you want to read more about their relationship and what each of them has brought, I invite you to do so. Thank you for joining me for this podcast. Hi, and welcome to the podcast, A Church Dismantled, Then and Now. I'm Conrad Kanegi, and I want to welcome you to what has become a bit of a surprise for me, a podcast that developed earlier this spring, about five weeks ago. I sat down one morning on the porch to uh, respond to, through a weekly email, which I send to our congregation, um, comments that I was hearing uh, around our community and, and across the church about the need to reopen the church. Uh, after the uh, COVID-19 crisis, which continues. And something within me really reacted to the idea that we could think about reopening the church um, because it suggests then that the church was closed or that the church is primarily a space or a geographic place and not a people, whereas everything in Scripture would suggest that the church is a people uh, and not a place. And I think that's one of the challenges we face in modernity, And you'll hear me talk throughout the episodes about modernity. And what I mean by that is simply the modern world. The modern world as it developed since the Enlightenment with the Industrial Revolution, um, upward mobility, uh, geographic mobility, um, all of the impact of these um, changes since really um, the 18th century that have accumulated in a whole host of things that I think we're often not aware of Um, And the sociologists have a particular perspective on that I think can be helpful and actually very consistent with uh, scripture. But one of the challenges of modernity is that we've lost the sense of peoplehood. In sociology, we we use a German word to talk about that called Gemeinschaft, where we've lost our sense of identity as the people of God, both locally and and broadly, uh, universally across history. This loss of a sense of peoplehood has really been devastating for the church. Uh, and I will talk about it throughout uh, the episodes um, quite regularly, actually. I'll refer back to this, um, the devastation in many ways that has come about through the loss of this sense of peoplehood. Going back to the Industrial Revolution uh, and even before the Enlightenment, um, and even before that, the Reformation, which in some ways has contributed to uh, the development of modernity uh, as well. All of these were what we call macro-level forces, big, big kind of upper uh, level forces that have contributed to a situation over time 
that we face now in the modern slash postmodern world in the way we experience church and think about church. In other words, the forces that we're experiencing today have been at play for at least 400 years. And, and even the Reformation, as I've said, in some ways worked against the church, at least the idea of church as a peoplehood, as a universal gathering of the saints across time and space. Now, certainly there were divisions and there was a lot of corruption in the church before the Reformation, and I'm not speaking against the Reformation. I think it was a move of God's spirit. But the Reformation accelerated this idea of dispersion and dis- dif- differentiation of groups uh, and divisions into denominations. And, of course, when we came to the New World in the United States, our emphasis on individuality and religious freedom and civil rights that was embedded, at least in part, in our Constitution um, only increased, accelerated this idea of individualism and dispersion and differentiation. Back in the 1980s, Robert Bella and colleagues wrote a book called Habits of the Heart. And in the book, they did a lot of interviews of Americans. And um, one of the women they interviewed, uh, one of the respondents was Sheila. And they asked Sheila what her religion was. And she said, it's it's Sheilaism. It's the worship of myself. And while most of us who are evangelical Protestants uh, or Christians in general would reject the idea that we worship ourselves, um, Sheila was on to something. That is, that we in many ways see ourselves as deities, um, as gods. In fact, that was, of course, the original sin in Eden, and it remains the original sin that so often we fail to address. We address the other sins around that central sin, but this idea that I am in control, that I am in charge, that I determine my destiny, um, that I can do it myself, that I can do it my way, is really the deep original sin that we all struggle with and that in many ways has been, I think, exacerbated by uh, modernity. Um, And so it's difficult for leaders to develop in their churches, in their congregations, a sense of peoplehood. And it's hard for people in the churches to have a sense that they are a people um, who gather not just in a space or a place, but who identify with one another. It's so difficult to identify a community. I teach sociology at Elizabethtown College, and I've been teaching there for about 30 years. And one of the things that I periodically do is ask my students for uh, to identify their community. Who is the community that they look to for support? And it's very difficult, frankly, for them to identify a community. They're not even sure what that word means. Sometimes it's a baseball team or a field hockey team or a soccer team, but sometimes it's simply um, very hard for them to discern any community at all. And that's really a problem of modernity, because before modernity, one could identify one's community. It was the people one lived with and worshipped with and played with and worked with and went to school with. And communities were held together by a common geographic space, but within that space by common values and a common identity, common norms, common beliefs, common structures, within which they lived in common rituals or social interactions. But with the onset of the Industrial Revolution, all of this changes And our structures become what sociologists would call much more rational. That is, they become efficient, bureaucratic, based on science, based on predictability, based on the belief that we control things, based on the belief that we can count things and and whatever we can count must have meaning, even if innately it has very little meaning at all. And so we become obsessed with counting things. And we have this whole industry called big data. One of the fastest growing disciplines for our students these days is is those disciplines where things get counted. If we think about the public health crisis we're in right now, the COVID-19 crisis, uh, and epidemiology and public health experts, we're all counting stuff. 
Um, counting becomes the bottom line of safety. We're only safe, we assume, if we can count things, if certain things add up. And so counting is very important within modernity. All of these things, efficiency, predictability, counting stuff, controlling stuff, were much less important in the pre-modern world, in traditional societies. And what was important was the community, knowing where I belonged, who I belonged to, um, and what, were, what was my place in the social structure. Um, these were not always good times, but there were certainly abuses of power, for sure, uh, and there was loneliness. And yet, at the same time, folks knew where they belonged. Uh, but with the onset of modernity, the problems of individualism, of alienation, of a loss of shared morals, became accelerated. Um, since the 1950s, sociologists would argue that both of the two primary agents of socialization, that is family and religion, have, uh, have taken huge hits. Um, agents of socialization are those social institutions in our society that socialize us or teach us how to live in the world, give us the rules of society. Um, and the, the two primary ones are really family and religion because they do similar things. They provide support. They provide a shared sense of morals. They provide cohesiveness. They hold people together. They support one another in times of trouble and crises and, and so on. Um, and, and prior to the modern world, religion and family really acted together in conjunction with one another to support one another. What a child heard in church, a child tended to hear at home. And they created a really cohesive community, by and large, for those who lived within them. All of the social institutions in a community like that, whether they are teachers or grandparents or uncles and aunts and religious leaders, all of these social institutions spoke with a similar voice. And so a child grew up hearing a more cohesive voice, um, a cohesive whole, and he or she took root. Their life took root in uh, this cohesion, in this shared moral uh, set of commitments that people in the community had. Today, my students grow up in a world that is much more fragmented and differentiated. And so education is one area of my life. My religion is another. My neighborhood is another. My work is another. And then, of course, there's social media, which takes up a huge chunk of an individual's life in a way that was not in existence in the uh, pre-modern era. And so not only do we live with this sense of differentiation and fragmentation, um, we also have minimized religion's authority in society. It's, there's this loss of religious authority in, in our society, which sociologists call secularization. And we've relegated religion to a place. So when we say as Christians that we want to go back to church or reopen church, we are simply reinforcing this modern idea that church is separate from my life. I can't be church at home. Our church can't be family. I can't be church except in this one place, which, again, is not a biblical way of thinking about church. So what it suggests is that if you, if you don't go to church, you're not part of church. Uh, and really, we've relegated church to one or two hours a week. Think about the one or two hours a week of church as compared to the number of hours that you spend on social media, um, on television, cable news, and so on. There's no way the church can compete with these forces, particularly at a time uh, of increased secularization where the church and religion have lost their influence in our social life. When our people step outside the doors of that church, they are inundated with secularization and with this fragmentation and disintegration of their lives that uh, one or two hours of church in a particular place is not going to solve. Um, 1950 was also important because it marked the era as the GIs returned from World War II 
there was a lot of change in society. The baby boomers came, uh, were, were born, uh, 1945 to 1964. There were new opportunities for wealth, the accumulation of wealth, for education. In many ways, the middle class was um, born in that period. And so you had the accumulation and development of a middle class that did not exist before. Um, and in this context of accumulated wealth in the middle class, neither the family nor faith have done particularly well. Particularly, particularly well. Um, it's in this era of growth and prosperity of the middle class that it reminds me of God's words to the people of Israel as they were moving in, uh, from Egypt into the promised land. Uh, or from the wilderness into the, into the promised land in Deuteronomy 6, where he warns them that when they get the good life, it's quite likely they will forget him. And that has been the nature of our reality uh, almost since the beginning, um, where we simply forget God. God gives us the good life, we forget God. He gives it back, we forget God, and so on. Because there's this sense I think we have, perhaps innately, uh, in the freedom God has given us, this idea that there's always a better God, there's always a better life, there's always a better deity, there's always a better lifestyle. If we could just cross that fence and go across that line, even if, even if across that line we see death, uh, can we at least be free to do that, at least try it? How does death feel when we put it on anyway? And so we, are, we, we live as a people who need it all, um, including death itself, without knowing it, and, and so we, get, we, we got death as a part of the bargain. And that's where we've lived with, um, since the 1950s, um, this disintegration of family and uh, religion um, in so many ways that have impacted my students' ability to identify a community. Because if your community isn't your family, because it's fragmented, if you're not engaged in faith or religion, it's hard, you're hard-pressed to identify a meaningful community. Um, and, and for our young people, we've simply expanded the time period in which they uh, have to grow up or to mature by about a decade. And in that time, um, while many used to come back to church after getting married and having children, uh, increasingly we've expanded that time uh, before marriage, and it's not clear that they will come back when they have uh, children, when they get married, if they get married, because marriage rates have also uh, declined. So there are larger forces at work and play in what we're experiencing these days in the church. And that's part of what I try to bring to this uh, series of episodes um, called A Church Dismantled. I've been a sociologist since uh, 1993 uh, at Elizabethtown College. I'm trained uh, at Penn State University and uh, also Wheaton College, where my undergraduate degree is in sociology and anthropology. Those years at Wheaton were fundamental to my faith formation. I, I learned about evangelicalism in uh, that, those years and, and what I would call the best of evangelicalism, a kind of classic evangelicalism that has in so many ways recently been co-opted by the political right uh, of our country. And I make it clear in my podcast that I'm not against politics or engagement in politics. What I am against is making any political party God or replacing Jesus with any with our political commitments, or interpreting our political commitments um, on their own face value without interpreting through Jesus. I, I, I think our political engagement has brought with us a tremendous amount of baggage that I keep working against because I think it is and will increasingly get the church in big trouble. I can't help but think repeatedly of Bonhoeffer and the church in Germany and how he was uh, felt the need to develop the Confessing Church because the, the Lutheran Church at large um, just was co-opted by Hitler 
uh, and went down the road with him. There are so many ways that we've been co-opted over the years as Christians and as a church, and I think what we're dealing with now is one more of those ways, which is this um, temptation to look to politics and government for our answers rather than to ask the question, as Jeremiah uh, in Jeremiah 2, uh, where is God? Um, and so I'm, you'll hear that concern rising uh, throughout um, the course, um, throughout the episodes. I, I teach a number of courses at the at, at the college, uh, Intro to Sociology, uh, our Research and Methods courses I've taught at times, Race and Ethnic Relations, uh, Criminal Justice courses. Um, I'm also, at the same time, uh, a pastor. I pastored Elizabethtown Mennonite Church from 2000 to 2005, and uh, currently my wife Heidi and I were called in 2011 and are the lead ministry couple of Elizabethtown Mennonite Church. And so um, what's informing these episodes and this podcast is uh, my experience as a sociologist, uh, my experience in ministry, my experience also as a consultant uh, for congregations and uh, faith-based organizations for about the last uh, close to 15 years. Um, it's May of 2020. In May of 2020, in the midst of the coronavirus, I sat down to write, as I said, um, a weekly email um, to our congregation entitled the, Why the Church Can't Reopen. And I sent that email out to a few folks, and it really resonated. And uh, for about the next three weeks, um, every morning when I came out to the porch uh, early, about 5 o'clock, to meet with God, there was something there. It was just like uh, heaven had opened up, and I can only describe it since as as a kind of uh, what felt like a kind of Pentecost experience where there was always something there for me to write. And uh, that has continued uh, although to a lesser extent, it has slowed down some. Um, and so I began to put these on Facebook, uh, got a lot of people resonating with them, and so then decided to put them uh, on, a podca- on a podcast called A Church Dismantled. My intention is to continue to place probably uh, once or twice a week a new episode on um, The Church Dismantled. Sometimes they are um, personal stories. I'm, I'm pretty revealing of what's going on in my personal life um, in terms of particularly childhood experiences that shape my understanding of, uh, of the church. Um, and uh, you're going to hear some reflections from my pastoral experience, from my consulting experience, uh, some sociological theory that I'll throw in from time to time, like these, these ideas and concepts around modernity. Um, and I just want to say that this began... I'm a novice at this, uh, podcasting. Um, I've written for a long time, but I've not, I've not done a podcast. And so um, over time, I hope you sense some improvement in the quality, uh, in the way it's organized and structured. Uh, I've been tempted to go back and redo the earlier ones, but I don't think I'm going to. I think they're, they are um, what they were as I shared them, and so I will keep adding to this um, as well. I welcome your feedback. Part of my prayer for, uh, as I um, have been writing and podcasting, is simply praying for those who will listen and are listening. And also Isaiah 55, this um, passage that's such a beautiful passage, um, Come all you who are thirsty. Um, there's this free gift of water and food that God has for us to refre- replenish us and refresh us. And um, in that passage, God speaks about, that his word will not return to him empty or void, that it will replenish, it will do what the rain and snow do when they fall from heaven. And so I have been um, praying that, that as these words go out, 
um, those that are from God would replenish, would renew, um, and would not return to him empty. Um, As this COVID-19 crisis began, I just, as a pastor, I called out to the Lord and said, Lord, how do I lead in a time like this? I've never led in a space like this. And what I heard from him um, was simply this, very quickly, remind them of who God is. And in many ways, this podcast is a response to that, I think. One of the ways that God has called me to remind us who he is in the midst of the crises in our lives, now but always, who he is as we journey towards the new heaven and the new earth, and the new earth. who he is as we journey towards Mount Zion. One of my favorite passages um, in Scripture is also Isaiah 40, and you'll hear me reflect on that sometimes. Um, I grabbed onto a little book when I was a kid um, based on Isaiah 40 and was captured by this idea that we are excavating this grand project uh, to build a highway to God, that others would join us on this highway, that our job is not so much to force people on the highway, of course not, but to build the highway, to lower the mountains, uh, to raise the valleys, um, to make the rough places plain and crooked places straight. And my hope and prayer is that this podcast is part of, of that journey, part of the way he's, God has called me to uh, excavate um, and be part of that, uh, that work, he, that grand work he's doing, that we are all invited as his people to be part of. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. I hope you're stretched. I hope you grow. I hope you, um, as I've said before, I'm offended by some of my own words. Um, And if I wasn't, then I wouldn't uh, have a heart that also that uh, was in need of change. Um, It is in need of change. And this is an ongoing process as God's spirit works within us. So God's blessing to you. Thanks for your support and care um, and affirmation. And I welcome dialogue with you as we journey together. Be still and know that I am God.